Here we are, Chocolate Pain, Kill You a True Style with myself and Chad Brown. Uh, Nate will be back next week. He's just had some stuff going on, so we wish him the best, and we look forward to a a, a President's Day return. Chad, of yes. all the holidays. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not saying the presidents don't deserve to get notified and noticed <laughs> and everything, but... Uh, this is kind of one that sneaks up on you. I mean, what exactly are we supposed to do with this particular uh, holiday? I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, you know, I think as a kid, I loved it because, you know, it was a day off of school. But, right. yeah, what, what what are we doing here? What are we celebrating? Is it all the presidents? You know, because it tends to be Washington and Lincoln who are thought of on this day. I have I actually don't even have enough of a historical reference. When was this enacted? What was the goal of it? Uh, did a president talk about enacting President's Day? Um, yeah, so I'm a bit lost here on the real reasons why. Um, so I, I suppose I'll take it, but uh, it does not make a whole lot of sense to me. Favorite president? Ooh, favorite president. Um, wow, these are such politically divisive times, my man. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. We did the show yesterday no, about, about gun control. Right, I, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. How about this? Favorite president uh um before before Lincoln, favorite president. Uh, boy, I don't know if I can get less political than that. But favorite president before Lincoln. Well, before Lincoln, um well, <laughs> Lincoln was the president who helped to free the slaves. So any president before that kind of sucked. Yes, <laughs> this is this is just like our grandma conversation from like five years ago. <laughs> You're right. Upon first Every... reflection, it seems great, but then you, right. you dive into it, you go, "Oh no!" <laughs> Every. <laughs> Every president before Lincoln was missing something, wasn't he? Right. I mean, yeah. Yes. I mean, he was uh, he, <laughs> literally every president before Lincoln got something pretty big wrong. Correct. Oh my God. Okay, let's move on to football. Yes. But, but yes. well said. Every president before Lincoln kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue with it. We kill you, you with truth. Yes, you can't this, you can't argue with it. This is why you come here to be killed. With oh some my god, sometimes harsh. Every president before Lincoln kind of sucked. All right, um, hey, what is uh, what's the deal? What what is the deal with Steve Wilkes? I am starting to feel sorry for this dude. Uh, he was one and done in Arizona. He was uh, kind of like well, he was the interim coach there at Carolina, but they said yeah not good enough and then he's one and done with the 49ers so there's something about this guy that's good enough to get these great jobs but not good enough to keep them what is the deal with steve wilkes uh i don't know i i, I you know i don't know him personally um you know i do spend time in arizona so i've heard some some unflattering things about his tenure there but for a guy who continues to get hired yet only gets to stick around for one year. Let's not forget, he also spent one year out of football in the last six years. Then one year, he was a defensive coordinator at Missouri. So crazy six years for him, five jobs, all of them one year or less. Uh, wow, it's such a crazy road for him. Uh, for Kyle Shanahan, it's, it feels like a bit of a scapegoat kind of moment. Mm. 
Um, you know, it, to hold Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs to 25 points in, in, in essentially five plus quarters of football, it's actually pretty good in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. They were one of the best defenses in the league. So I'm, I'm not sure what the thing was up there. I mean, Kyle talked about it not being a, a fit and having been uh, inside those coaching rooms as an intern coach. Mm-hmm. And there was certainly guys you knew, okay, as soon as the head coach gets an opportunity, you're getting fired. You may know what you're doing, but you're not a fit for the system. You're not a fit for the culture. You're not a fit for your relationship with the other coaches. Um, so I've I've seen this b- before, you know, and I mean, <laughs> when I was with the Jets, uh, Todd Bowles was the coach. Todd Bowles is quite the laid back kind of guy. And there was a coach who would pump heavy metal music for 20 minutes before he went out to practice, open his office door and played as loud as he possibly could. And I thought, that's just, that's not going to go over well, man. Mm. It's training camp. Everyone else is trying to work on their last minute game plans. And, you know, they walk by his office and you got to like recoil from the music that's so loud. Yeah. And he was fired after one year. No surprise that he was asked fired after one year. I thought he was a good football coach, but again, the personality wasn't a fit. So for Steve Wilkes, uh, I think publicly it looks like Kyle is trying to find someone to blame, but I think behind the scenes, it probably was some truth to his statement that the fit wasn't mm. just right. Okay. Um, yeah, we get to this time of the year and it is interesting, Chad, very slowly. Once the Super Bowl's over, we start hearing little chit chat, don't we? We start to hear little meltdowns and, uh, People are scrambling, looking for their jobs. It happens very quickly before the combine and because the combine is the next football convention. And while teams, uh, well, the Niners and the Chiefs, right, were just playing right up until last weekend, everybody off has been off for quite a long time, aren't they? So you start getting a little itchy. What to you in terms of an organization and coaching structure are the things to look for um, in terms of teams that got it right and teams that are making mistakes. Wow. There's so many different ways to get this done. Um, for Bill Belichick and the Patriots, you know, six Lombardi trophies, they had one of the smallest staffs in the league. And that was really good for them. Um, but Bruce Arians in, in Tampa Bay, they had one of the largest staffs in the league. They Bruce Arians wanted everybody out the building by 6 7 o'clock. If you miss one of your kids' events, that's going to get you fired before being a bad football coach is going to get you fired. So a very mm. different way of approaching it. They had the biggest staff in the league because they wanted to share the workload versus Belichick who wanted to have everything so insular and have a very small staff and guys mm. had to wear multiple hats. So there's more than one way to win a Super Bowl championship from a coaching perspective. But I think in the end, you want people that you enjoy, people that you trust, mm-hmm. uh, and people who you think have a similar level of dedication and passion as you. Um, and once that becomes clear, then coaches are going to be removed or, or, or pushed out of the, the situation as Steve Wilkes was. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I did those internships. Everyone ran a very different ship. Every head coach did things in a very, very different way. Um, some good and some some not so good. Uh, but I'd have to say from an enjoyment standpoint, I loved working for Pete Carroll because it was a great, positive, fun culture. I showed up every day ready to to have some fun and excited because what's Pete going to do today? What fun thing are we going to do today? Mm. Um, Versus some of the other internships, when we're having a staff meeting during training camp at midnight, 
Mm. I can't help but think, what the hell are we doing and why are we so efficient, so inefficient that we're having a staff meeting at midnight? Who did, who did that? Uh, that was in Tennessee. And it's like, we're, we're, we're coming back at five in the morning. Wow. We are well past the point of diminishing returns right. because after we have a staff meeting at midnight, then we need to have a defensive staff meeting. Then I need to meet with the linebacker coach. So there's there's two other meetings that come after that meeting to take the information from the staff meeting and get that implemented. Yeah. So I didn't right, well, you're, you're you're begging the question. Why are there so many meetings in the NFL? Okay. Um, so this is where the efficiency thing comes in. So it's training camp. Obviously, we're not playing against an opponent. We're playing against each other. So at a certain time, the expectation is the offensive staff is going to be ready with their script, with their practice. And then we need to get a look at that practice plan defensively so we can put some things in place that are going to be able to help the offense, but also use what the offense is doing to help us. But we can't draw up the script in a vacuum. It has to be based on what the offense is doing. So is tomorrow going to be a third down day? Is it going to be a second down day? Is it going to be a goal line day? So until the offensive-minded head coach comes up with that plan and then the offensive coordinator and the play callers come up with the play sheet, we on defense, we're just sitting there twiddling our thumbs waiting for a midnight staff meeting because these guys didn't get their work done on time. So that's where the inefficiencies come up. And that's where when people talk about coaching be a, being a grind, that's what they're talking about because you're kind of always waiting on someone else to finish their work so you, then you can finish your work. Mm. Um, and as we've seen with Steve Wilkes, you know, sometimes you can do a pretty darn good job and you get fired and it wasn't necessarily your fault. It's things as esoteric as, as the fit. So for Steve Wilkes, I'm not sure if he's a married guy, if he's got family, but to be in five different spots in six different years, that doesn't seem like much of a life for me. And I think this is sometimes why the coaching thing can be so difficult and so discouraging because of things like that. You know, I've seen some the Nuggets and Avs both. Um, well, the the Avs just wrapped up a terrible uh, road trip, and the Nuggets lost three games in a row. And it is crazy, Chad. Jared Bednar and Michael Malone just won championships, championships. And after this recent week, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do we got the right coach? <laughs> you literally have arguably the two best coaches and Nuggets at Avalanche history by championships and overall wins. Really, you can make the argument these two guys right now are the best you've ever had. It just goes to show you how fickle fans can be and what the desperation level for coaches may be. I, who's on the hot seat right now for next year? Robert Sala, how's he doing there with the Jets, right? He has to be on the hot seat. Is he the number one guy? I mean, the Jets have missed the playoffs 13 years in a row. They just had that article about the most dysfunctional franchise connected to, well, yeah, Nathaniel Hackett, but also Robert Sala. Is he it? And the season is, you know, we haven't even started the new year. Uh, All right. Is Robert Sala on the hot seat right now? Yes, absolutely. He's on the hot seat. He goes into this offseason knowing if things do not go well, if he does not reach the playoffs, then he's going to be fired. Um, this is, you know, this this is what bad organizations do. They allow people who come in who may not be prepared. They allow that dysfunction to run throughout the entire organization. And then they make a reactionary move. And then they start that same process over again. 
Um, so the best organizations that have stability, Pittsburgh Steelers, three coaches since 1969, man, mm. 19, I wasn't even born in 1969. So three coaches in that time span. Um, and all those guys have notice. I didn't say anything right there. Yes. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> um all three of those coaches have hoisted lombardi trophies all three of those coaches have been incredibly successful two of them are in the hall of fame uh mike tomlin is certainly on the hall of fame track ish so it's it's clear that stability organizational stability matters and while an owner may want to do the reactionary move of firing a coach and bringing someone else new in he's also got to take a look at the organizational structure that he has put in place that allows that coaches to be successful or to not be successful. All right, Chad, in terms of the Broncos with their structure, um, where do you think they're at right now? Where do you think Sean Payton is, is comfort level with who he's got around him? Well, he's continuing to bring in saints people. He brought in Pete Carmichael just a couple of weeks ago. So he's trying to get his saints band back together in some ways. Um, I think that's something a lot of coaches do, whether it's players or or coaches or front office personnel from their previous stop to bring those guys in. So I'm not surprised that Sean Payton is, is doing that. And I, th- I think at the same time, he gave the first year the, the opportunity. Let's look around the organization. Let's see what we got here and begins to make plans based on this is who showed who they were in year one. Now, who needs to be replaced? Who can I make an upgrade on all those kinds of things? So I think it's, uh, a bit of a work in progress, but uh, not uh, not at the beginning stages, probably halfway through. There'll be some more changes after year two uh, with front office people, wait staff, you know, support staff, all those kind of things. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the changes will continue into next year. But Sean Payton is probably halfway through of putting his complete stamp, not from a football perspective, not a team perspective, but from the organizational perspective, about halfway through with that process. Uh, Chad, I did see another NFL note that caught my attention, and that is, it appears the Seahawks will keep Geno Smith on their team. This was a news story because if he's on the roster past today, he's guaranteed $12.7 million. I'm, it's, I have a weird mixed feeling about a deal like that because look at the other monies the quarterbacks are making. I mean, Gosh, the top 15 guys, it seems, Chad, are all making more than $35 million a year. That seems to be the category. And they're hemming and hawing with the Seahawks about giving a good old Geno 12.7. You know what occurs to me, Chad? The Seahawks don't have a quarterback. And, and, and I know they think they got the better part of the Russell Wilson deal, but where are they two years later? Are they any closer to winning a championship? They just lost their longtime coach. They don't have Russell Wilson. You don't know if you want to bring Geno back. You got Drew Locke hanging in there, I think, although I think Drew may be a free agent. So are they really that much better off? And did the Seahawks squander the opportunity they had when they dealt Russell Wilson? Because they didn't make a move on the quarterback in the ensuing two years. I think they are further ahead because of the draft capital. They got two really good draft picks this last year who both have contributed the, the year before they got some really good uh, draft kit picks as well. Their salary cap situation is way better than the Broncos salary cap situation. So while it may not necessarily show up as a huge advantage on the field this last season, um, I think 
the Seahawks are just simply further ahead because of those two things, which are critical components to your team building process. Do you have draft picks? Are they successful? And if you're doing draft picks successfully, it tends to make your salary cap situation healthier. Um, and also they're got, they've got a quarterback who can be the starter and maybe take this to a, to a playoff win or two who's under a contract that his dollars are actually quite manageable versus some of those other contracts that you're just talking about there. So um, the Seahawks may be in a situation where they are just a quarterback away within a, a year or so because they've got lots of pieces all around on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I'm just looking up really quick the uh, the mock drafts here because I believe uh, the Seahawks are at 16. And, you know, it's always interesting to me, like, who are the quarterback needy teams? Also, it's interesting to me to, to wonder, can you get away with a bargain basement quarterback and actually win a Super Bowl and compete? I, I think you can clearly make the playoffs, okay? I don't think that's an issue whatsoever. And I know we're talking a high bar here because, well, frankly, shit, just seems like Patrick Mahomes is going to win every damn Super Bowl, right? Right. Um, so I'm looking up a mock right now, and this mock, Yahoo Sports, has the Seahawks taken Jerjan uh, Newton, who is highly regarded. And when I look at what the Seahawks are favoring, it is not a quarterback. It's um, other positions. It's a pass rusher inside pass rusher and outside pass rusher. Okay, fine. So what is the path then, Chad? Bigger question. What is the path to win a championship with a lower to mid-level quarterback? How realistic do you think is that? Not not a quarterback, youth, a young guy like Brock Purdy, who may turn into a $40 million quarterback. I mean, that looks like the path for that guy, right? But no, a quarterback who clearly is that 8 to 12 million guy that Geno Smith is. Okay. Well, then your team building process has to be paramount. Your roster construction has to be paramount. You are given a different lay of the land than these other teams who are at the top of the quarterback salary rankings because you have more money to spend. You can shore up more parts of your team based on that. And that was the path to the Seahawks. Super Bowl success before with the Legion of Boom was because Russell Wilson was under his rookie deal. So they were able to pay Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas and all those kinds of guys. But once Russell Wilson got paid and then those guys all needed to get paid, that's what broke up the band there. That's where the difficulty is when you are building it that way, because at some point, if once you win a Super Bowl, then that quarterback is going to want to be at the top of the salary rankings and those defenders or offensive players who surrounded that young quarterback, they also want to be paid as well. So that window is very short as opposed to when you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got Patrick Mahomes because he is so good. He can make up for a deficient wide receiver room. He can make up for Travis Kelsey disappearing for four or five games during the course of this season. If you've got that middling quarterback, he's not going to be that good. So your roster construction, the performance of all the other pieces and parts of your football team need to be at the tops of their games. Um, so it certainly can be done. You just have to draw it up from a roster creation and also from a roster valuation piece uh, in a very different way. And evaluation of your roster and the valuation of your roster, mm. those are two different pieces that are actually two different departments within NFL teams. And th both those need to marry up to be successful. 
And this is what the Broncos have to hash out in their uh, midnight plus meetings, frankly, because with the situation they're in, it really is to me two choices to try to get that middling quarterback and figure out success or to kind of blow it all up. Really, Chad, I mean, blow it all up. And if you're blowing it all up and you really don't care about a three win season, then you can give up a bunch of stuff um, to move up, I guess. You know, that's where you can trade Patrick Sertan. But then I struggle with that, too, because I know you could ruin a young quarterback that has a lot of good potential. That could happen as well. Man, it was a crazy all or nothing move for Russell Wilson, wasn't it, Chad? And 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 you have to pay the piper for not doing um, a deal with Brock Osweiler, for not getting Peyton Manning to play his fifth year, for not drafting Josh Allen, taking Bradley Chubb, and I'll say, frankly, for taking a cornerback instead of a quarterback when you took uh, Sertan over fields. It is crazy. Uh, never mind the desperation, idiotic pick of Paxton Lynch and the obvious problem pick of Drew Locke in the second round. Holy cow, Chad. Yeah, I mean, you can see why the Broncos are where they're at, they're at can't you? It's, oh, the, it's, it's not complicated. The, the history of the situation is unmistakable. And when you continue to make those kinds of moves at the quarterback position, you're going to end up in a situation that you're in right now. You became so quarterback desperate. You made a move for a player that was declining. And it's always interesting when, uh, you know, Guys are giving up for free agency. Now, I was a free agent. My situation was a little different. The Steelers just simply didn't have the money to pay myself and Jerome Bettis and all those other things. So it wasn't like they were getting rid of me right. as much as there was just not simply enough salary cap room. And that'll right? likely happen to Josie Jewell with the Broncos this year. Yeah, versus a free agent or a quarterback like Russell Wilson who's available as trade bait when the team recognizes, hey, the decline has started here. We can get we can maximize our return on a declining asset. So that's what the Seahawks were able to do. The Broncos being incredibly quarterback desperate because of all that list of things you just ran down there felt they needed to make a move. George Payton, you don't become the GM to a new organization and decide you want to go quietly into the night. You need to make a big splash move. Well, it turns out because the Herschel Walker trade will always go down as the worst trade in NFL history. You don't get that title but you get the second or third worst trade of all time. And then with this contract and the, and the dead cap hit the Broncos are facing, this contract has to go down as a top three worst contract of all time. So this is what quarterback desperation does to you when you have the opportunity to draft a Josh Allen, to do other things in the draft where your mistake may be a draft pick, but it is not going to have the massive salary cap ramifications that a free agent or a trade deal would have, that's the better way, the more wiser way to go and the, most, the more way that you can protect your organization into the future. All right, great stuff as always. Uh, we'll be back at it on President's Day. We don't take that nah. seriously mm -hmm. at all. We'll get after it. No, we'll get after it on Monday. And uh, just remember, every president before Lincoln kind of sucked yeah I'm a little <laughs> see you chad see you man